0: Buenos días. Nuestra escritura viene del de, um, libro de Efesios, capítulo 2. Por lo tanto, recuerden ustedes los gentiles de nacimiento, los que son llamados incircuncisos, por aquellos que se llaman de la circuncisión, la cual se hace en el cuerpo por mano humana. Recuerde, recuerden que en ese entonces ustedes estaban separados de Cristo, excluidos de la ciudadanía de Israel y ajenos a los pactos de la promesa, sin esperanza y sin Dios en el mundo. Pero ahora, en Cristo Jesús, a ustedes que antes estaban lejos, Dios los ha acercado mediante la sangre de Cristo. Porque Cristo es nuestra paz. De los dos pueblos ha hecho uno solo, derribando mediante su sacrificio el muro de enemistad que nos separaba, pues anuló la ley con sus mandamientos y requisitos. Esto lo hizo para crear en sí mismo de los dos pueblos una nueva humanidad al hacer la paz, para reconciliar con Dios a ambos en uno solo cuerpo mediante la cruz por la que dio muerte a la enemistad. Él vino y proclamó paz a ustedes que estaban lejos y paz a los que estaban cerca. Pues por medio de él tenemos acceso al Padre por un mismo espíritu. Esta es la palabra de Dios, se puede tomar sus asientos.
1: So the one part of this service that will not be bilingual is this part. I'm not, and the reason for that um, is I'm a typical American. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that statement that what do you call somebody who knows three languages? What do you call them? Trilingual, two languages, bilingual, one language, and American, right? That's it. So here's your American preacher uh, coming on in English, so um, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 is where we're going to be. Before we get there, I'd ask that each of you pray with me. Father, we come before you so grateful that you are so much bigger than us, that one language could not even come close to scratching the surface of your greatness and your love And so you made many, many, many languages beyond any that we could even comprehend or even list together. We thank you that you are so big that your love is more significant than anything we could ever imagine. That you do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. That you'll speak to the world in your scriptures and you'll speak to our country and you'll speak to our families and yet you'll speak to each of us as individuals this morning. So I pray for that. I pray for those who are in pain today that you'd spe- speak specifically in the midst of their situation. Those that are plagued with memories that they want to get away from themselves, um, God, that you would bring healing in the midst of that and those who are experiencing loss that you would provide comfort, um, God, and yet those who are here that are really rejoicing. I pray that you would let them know that you're rejoicing with them. But God in all of that form us as your people that we might be inspired and given the power of the resurrection that you tell us about to be the people you've called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So how many of you all in here were born before 1985? Okay, so a decent amount So for those of you who weren't, I need to inform you, there was something that happened in 1985 that most of you don't know about that you have to know about. So there was a song that was developed by some of the greatest artists of the time, Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie. So if you don't know who that is, you may know Nicole Richie. It's her dad. So Lionel Richie was a part of it. Um, Michael Jackson, whom everybody knows of every generation, but all of these people came together, Paul McCartney, and they sang a song called We Are the World. So it's, we are the world, we are the children, right? So it's, I can sing, okay? Don't get me <laughs> singing because you'll want me up here, not Stephen. But that's, that's a joke. I don't sing very well. Um, but it says, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones to make a better day. So let's start giving. The, the lyrics really are absolutely incredible. And what they testify to, which is the same in our day right now, is that every human being looks at the world and deep inside knows this isn't entirely the way it's supposed to be. And most oftentimes, too much of it. It's not just that it's like, hey, there's this little portion or this little fraction on the side that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's like deep down we know it's not the way it's supposed to be so at the time the way the song developed was essentially there was horrible horrible horrific things happening in Africa at the time and so it was developed under this thing called USA for Africa and they gathered all these people together very well intended and good motives trying to make a point that we need to raise our eyes up and begin to give not just take on behalf of the world because in fact we are the world now when you look at that from a biblical perspective, it's actually pretty inspiring for this reason, that human beings, no matter how bad we are, which many times were really, really, really bad, have something inside their heart. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, says that God has set eternity in the hearts of human beings. He set eternity there. Now if you think about eternity just as this place called heaven which is this disembodied existence where we kind of bounce from cloud to cloud and sing songs all the time and many people are like that sounds like hell not heaven but right and it does that's not what the Bible says eternity is. Eternity actually is resurrection. It's real life in real bodies in a world really the way it's supposed to be, but even beyond our imagination or our greatest desires. And what we aspire to and desire in the here and now, regardless of what we believe, is kind of like um, that famous statement, can't we all just get along? And people laugh at that, but deep down we just want harmony. In some way we're all just supposed to work together. It's all supposed to come together, not just like, okay, you do your thing, I do my thing, but it's meant to be like a concert or a concerto, you could say, um, right? Or ultimately, an orchestra would be a better way to say it, where all these pieces and parts play together, and we know in our world that's what it's meant to be. That's set in our hearts. So listen to me in this. This isn't idealism. This is God saying, that which is in your heart which desires that is right it's placed there by God so your desire to be in harmony with yourself your desire to be in harmony with your family which is all so hard and many of you may be estranged your desire to be in harmony with your church you know with your city that gosh wouldn't it be great our country and ultimately the world that missiles wouldn't be striking Syria and chemical weapons wouldn't be going across in Syria through from the government to their own people you just sit there and go gosh it seems like we should know we're together well God affirms that so that's a starting place so that we understand that well that's coming in through Paul but Paul understands something that isn't just the idealistic vision that sat, that's set in the the hearts of human beings but he understands why it's not that way And the Bible's really clear that the reason the world isn't that way is this word called sin, which isn't a very popular word to use, and yet the Bible uses it all over the place. And many of us in this room don't understand the real world because we don't understand how thick and textured the way the Bible views sin and the way Paul views sin. So I want to talk to you right now about the four dimensions of sin that Paul, who pens Ephesians, fully understands that most of us don't. But if we understand it, we'll understand our world far more and then we'll understand what Jesus did on the cross in a much more holistic way, a much thicker way, a much more textured way that makes sense of everything. That if you ever have been out there or you've ever heard the accusation or you have it in your own heart that christianity is kind of thin right it's pretty shallow that in the end it's pretty flat it doesn't really deal with the complexities of life that is absolutely false now what the church oftentimes promotes or what you've experienced is true it's flat it's shallow right it's thin but that isn't what the bible's doing so this is going to help us get there by understanding how the bible talks about sin the four dimensions of sin here's the first one sin is cosmic Okay, now, cosmic is a really odd word because many of you in here hear the word cosmic and all you can think of is like cosmic bowling, right? And that's when they turn all the lights off and lights are flashing everywhere and it looks like a 1960s dance party, but you're bowling in the midst of it. That is not what we mean by cosmic. Cosmic means wholesale, but wholesale means something in the Bible that many of us don't understand because God says to us in the book of Colossians, Paul wrote that as well, Um, It says that Jesus himself spoke the world into existence and he made everything that we can see and all the stuff we can't see. Which means there's a bunch of stuff going on in the world that we can't see. Paul then goes on in Colossians, he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. That language is specifically related to evil. Evil. And to this reality of fallen angels to the devil and Satan himself. Okay, another topic that you're kind of like, that's spooky and weird. And do you guys actually believe that stuff about the devil? Let me just stop and say this really quickly. Two factors that you need to understand when we talk about the devil. One is, the first one I'm going to say isn't the two. So maybe three first thing is the Bible talks about it all over the place and it's in Paul as he writes Ephesians so you don't get Ephesians and you can't apply Ephesians if you don't understand that evil's real fundamentally because the devil's real because there's false word in the world there's lies the Bible talks about the devil as though he's a liar and a deceiver and he has been since the beginning and he's out to seek and kill and destroy now here's the two things The first one is this, regardless of what you believe as you sit in here, if you would say you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, right? Even if you're an atheist or an agnostic, a Buddhist or a Muslim, or you're Jewish. The reality is we all together have to give an account for evil, you have to. So even if in the end you throw off the devil you still have to deal with the fact of there is horrific evil in the world and truth be told when you look at yourself in the mirror at night if you slow down long enough you're like there's remnants of it inside of me and you have to give an account of why now the bible's really clear that there is cosmic evil in the world there is a devil and there are demons now let me here's the second thing i want you to see when we talk about this If you don't believe in the devil and in the demonic, I promise you when you look evil in the face and you see it in the world, however you begin to define it, you'll turn human beings into the devil. That's a massive problem. If you wanna know why violence cycles, you kill me, you know, you kill my kid, I kill your kid, right? And it just continues. You bomb us, we bomb you is fundamentally we turn people into the devil because we don't understand this. Paul understands that the devil is real. That's how sin began. Is C.S. Lewis says that it was through pride this angel Lucifer sought to ascend the throne, which is impossible. Don't ever try to take the throne from God. It's impossible. So God cast him out, and angels along with him that became devils, it, devils. and C.S. Lewis said it was through pride that Lucifer became the devil. Then, the devil enters into the creation story in Genesis, and Romans says it was through one man's disobedience that sin entered the world. It already existed, okay? Sin's cosmic. It's bigger and it's badder than anything you ever knew before. That's cosmic. Here's the second dimension of sin is its individual Individual sin is what most of us know about. So this is the sin that both is done to us and that we do. Because most of the time the only thing we ultimately think about is individual sin. But individual sin is re- real. We do things that we shouldn't do. But there's also a whole host of things that we should be doing that we're not doing. That's also in the Bible called Sin. So the things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, the things that we should be doing that we're not doing, the Bible even has language for sin that's intentional and sin that's unintentional. But all of it affects us when we do it, and it affects other people, which is why the third one comes up. Sins, dimensions, cosmic, individual, and societal. So think about this. Human beings are those who make families. Human beings are those who start schools. Human beings are those who establish businesses. Those who create governance structure for those businesses and for our communities, for our neighborhoods, for our cities, for our country at large so therefore if sinful people are beginning to do this with sinful motives folks there is societal sin name it what you want to name it you can say you like it or you dislike it but if you follow the reality of the bible to say that there's systemic or structural sin or injustice is biblical that's just fact. if you don't believe that you don't believe in sin as the Bible talks about sin. So it's cosmic, individual, societal, and here's the last one, ecclesial. The only reason I chose the word ecclesial is because I didn't know how to say churchial, <laughs> right? But ecclesial is just, the Greek word ecclesia is the word for church, and here's what that means, is that sin is in the church. It's really apropos today, that's a big word to just say it's in vogue, right? It's really in vogue, that's another big word, It's common today for people to lament the church. The church is evil. The church is sick. The church is distorted. The church is sinful. The church has failed. Yes. The church is sinful. That doesn't mean in any way give the church a pass. Don't give the church a pass. Christ is calling the church to repentance. In fact, it says judgment in the end will begin with the household of God but let me also remind you just so that you're not surprised to say this, if we're Bible people, when you read the Bible, tell me a place in the scriptures where the people of God were faithful. Folks, nowhere. The people of God are formed through a call to a pagan man named Abraham saying, through you, I'm gonna bless you with multiple descendants and I'm gonna form a nation. So Abraham gets called, and then all of a sudden he gets called to an account. He's at a border, and he's got his wife with him. The people look at his wife. They're like, your wife's really pretty. And he's like, she's my sister. Take her, right? That's a bad move, guys. Don't, don't do that, right? Then all of a sudden the nation of Israel's formed. God does amazing things like splitting the Red Sea, right? They walk through it, and you'd think, now they know it. Now the people of God are going to be faithful. And then they begin to grumble and complain against God. He gives them a law, they can't live up to the law. Ultimately, it concludes with prophets screaming at them because the people of God are not faithful. But then Jesus comes, right, in the New Testament. So now the church is pure, right? Well, every New Testament letter is written with correctives in it. Most of them are written entirely as correctives because the people of God aren't being the people of God. Even the ones we say are about joy in the book of Philippians, Paul's sitting there going, hey, there's all kinds of people that can't get along in your midst. Tell them to get along. Right, all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, begins with the seven ch- churches. Right? These statements, these letters to the seven churches. Read those at the beginning of Revelation and tell me how many of those people are being faithful. So here's what that means, folks. It doesn't mean, well, I guess we're just stuck in sin. Here, but here's what it does mean. It means we should grieve the sin of the church. It means we should call the church to repentance, but here's what it means. Don't ever be surprised that sin's in the church. Ever. That's what it is. So Paul's writing Ephesians with this reality because he has a vision of what God has done, is doing, and is ultimately gonna do, and he's like, it isn't being reflected right now. So in Ephesians chapter two, verse 11, which is coming right on the back end of this amazing statement about what God has done in us and how he intends to use us as his handiwork, all under this reality of chapter 1, verse 10, when he says God has put into effect the times which reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things. Ephesians 1:10. God's intentions to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Unity is God's passion. So he says this, therefore, remember that formerly, this is chapter 2, verse 11, that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. So look at this with me for a minute. So he says, therefore, all this stuff happened. By grace, you've been saved through faith, not as a result of works, so that nobody in here can boast. Nobody then, nobody now can boast. But we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared for us in advance. Therefore, remember, this word remember means to set your attention upon. Now, nobody knows us, by us I mean human beings, of all stripes, of all economic statuses, of all kinds, of all backgrounds. Nobody knows human beings like God. He made us. He knit us each together in our mother's womb. He knows that when we set our attention, when we remember what we formerly were, Gentiles, he's speaking out of the Gentiles, by birth and called the uncircumcision. He's not going, when you call to mind, all you're going to do is call it to mind. When you call these things to mind, you could say memories, if you will, or you set your attention upon something, you begin to feel things physically. And that conjures up what you feel emotionally. This is true. We're whole creatures. Therefore, remember, he wants us to think about these things so we would feel formally you who are Gentiles by birth, that's literally in the flesh and called uncircumcised, your name called. You were known by the Jews as those uncircumcised people, the filthy ones, the ones we shouldn't touch, the pig-eating Gentiles, those who eat things and do things and smell ways and believe things that they shouldn't. And he wants them to feel, not just think about their alienation. They were alienated from these people. Gentiles by birth and called. You were named called the uncircumcised by those, and you can see Paul, by those who are the circumcised. And you go, was he really being sarcastic here? Here's how I know that. Which is done in the body by human hands. Most of us wouldn't know this, but Paul's conjuring up this idea in the Old Testament when it speaks about the making of idols, and the making of idols are no gods at all because they're made by human hands. He's saying you're putting so much emphasis in circumcision which let's just be honest is a mere human rit- ritual. Yes that I set up but that you as humans have so distorted to separate yourselves from each other to name call to one another that you Gentiles are those who were called the uncircumcised by whoa, the circumcised right. He's already done his job of going you're all sinners. You're all a disaster and you're all a mess but he wants them to feel the alienation. These two groups are alienated from each other. Now, this isn't too hard for you to get because everybody that's in here, whether you're popular or unpopular when you were growing up or even now, (laughs) have had moments where you felt alienated and it feels awful. You leave rooms where you feel alienated. Birds of a feather flock together because it feels better. Thinking people are looking at you doesn't feel good. Acknowledging that you're the outsider isn't what most people want. He wants to conjure this up. That divided communities, when it's said and done, don't like to stare their division in their faith face. They'd rather go just be with their community that feels a bit more united. That's true even in families. When your family feels divided, people are like, I just don't even want to be with them anymore. It's not easy. I don't like it. He's trying to conjure that up. Remember, but then he goes deeper. Remember that at that time, you were separate from the King. That's what Christ means, the Messiah. Remember then, you felt the division amongst peoples, but it's because you were separated from Christ, the King, the one Messiah excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope. Sure, you had hope in certain things, but you didn't have hope, hope. You didn't have real hope. And then he says this. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. That word without God literally is where the word atheist comes from, which is crazy because Gentiles were not atheists. They had all kinds of other gods, but he's saying, but you were separated from God, God. God the God of gods, the Lord of lords. You were separated from the king and you were separated from God, therefore you had no hope. So just see this quickly. Paul does not, Paul's not a a simpleton. He understands there's kinds of hopes out there. Kind of like when the author of the book of Hebrews says the passing pleasures of sin. He's saying, sure, there's pleasure in sin, but it's passing. Paul's not saying there is no hope, but he's saying fundamentally real hope, real hope, grounded hope, deeply rooted hope, sure hope is found in God who you didn't have. So do you see what he's doing? He's going fundamentally you're alienated from each other because of this. At that time you were alienated ultimately from God, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away Again, he's trying to say, you once who were far away when you're driving on a trip, does it feel better to be far away or close? I guess it depends on what you're going to, but generally speaking, it's better to be near. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not by the blood of circumcision. Not by the blood that's shed by human hands, But by the blood that poured from, as the hymn says, Emmanuel's veins, from the king's veins, from God himself's veins. Now, I want you to see this really quick, and I want to make a quick point. He is trying to give them perspective so that they can understand how amazing it is when he begins to talk about what happened through the blood of Christ. When you are separated from God and therefore alienated from each other and you don't have the perspective of your own sinfulness, your own, and then next rung, our, like as the church, we gotta own that. If we miss that, we will boast, which the New Testament says all over the place. There's no room for boasting. No room for boasting. No room for boasting. So the master's was just a short time ago, the golf tournament, and Tiger Woods was playing. And Tiger's this big controversial figure in that figure now, right? And you'll hear people, I don't like Tiger. I don't like Tiger. But you don't just hear people. I'll hear Christians, I don't like Tiger. I could never cheer for Tiger. why? He's an adulterer. He cheated on his wife. And I'm looking like... You won't cheer for him because he's an adulterer. You're a Christian? Yeah. You're an adulterer to God. The Bible's really clear about it. Like you've cheated on God and you won't cheer for Tiger Woods because he is an adulterer? Like you could go, I just don't like him. Like I hate the Raiders, right? But not because they have a bunch of adulterers. (laughs) I just hate them. Because you're an adulterer, like do do we? That's boasting. I don't like those people. Why? They're our enemies. You're an enemy of God's, right? Do we? That's the perspective Paul's trying to set here. Like, folks, can we remember? Like, can we just take a deep breath and remember who we really are? Like, don't forget where you came from, kind of a thing. Famous people say that. Like, when they get there, don't forget where you came from. Paul's like, hey, folks, don't forget where you came from. Jew or Gentile let's not forget then he says this in verse 14 for he himself is our peace attention folks this is it I'm going to keep going okay I'm going to keep going so we don't get caught off so listen to me no matter what when this guy says call the number now don't you don't need to call (laughs) somebody's calling on your behalf that's what Paul's saying right here All right, so listen, here's the thing you gotta understand. Peace is personal. By what I mean is not the application of peace to you. I mean peace is a person, okay? So I know you're engaged, say that with me. Say, on three, peace is a person. Hold on, on three. One, two, three. Peace is a person. That's exactly what he says right here for he himself, Christ, is our peace, our, plural. That means he's your peace individually, but he's our peace together, collectively. Okay, hear that? Peace is a person. This is where the world, in its aspiration, God set eternity, utmost peace, in the hearts of every human being. He said eternity, peace in the hearts of every human being. So we pursue peace without this person and therefore wonder why, why are we in the same place? It feels like we were during civil rights, in the hearts of people. Yes, legislation changed and therefore laws changed and in that sense, things are better. But at root level, human hearts still have yet to be transformed. Peace has still yet to be established amongst us all. We still live in a time in 2018 where people are gassing their own people. Folks, this is not a joke. This isn't just a moment to be like, well, I'm a Christian and therefore our story is true. That's not what this is. This is going, the Bible is giving an account of the world that actually makes sense. There is something that will bring peace, and it's a person, for he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I gotta say this really quickly because this goes on by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Now, this is a complicated text, but here's what you gotta understand. In the temple, there was a wall that was erected, and there was all kinds of stuff labeled on it that God didn't even intend, but the way in which the Jews viewed it was this wall's gonna keep all the riffraff, the dirty stuff, the Gentiles out. When God set it up that way, he set it up that way so that Israel would know it was to separate itself from idolatry. It was to pursue under the kingship of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's the one God. There is no other gods. That they would pursue them and not get caught up in all the other stuff that all the other nations were doing that would pull them away from God. So there was these separators, not to create needed division, but to allow Israel to be who Israel was always meant to be, which was a light to the nations, to tell every nation there's one God. That they were meant to live a life that says, hey, the way that you're going is not the way. These things that you're following are not the truth. The lives that you are running after to find life is not life but we're following the one true God who is the way, who is the truth, who is life. And they were meant to live lives in such a way that people would be like moths to a flame and be attracted to them and follow them. That's why the temple was set up the way it was and the laws and regulations, Allah one of them being circumcision, was not to say all the people who aren't circumcised are bad, Was to, but to say we are the Lord's and we will keep ourselves pure before him. It was meant to inspire a pursuit of God and therefore what the Bible calls holiness. The logic of Israel was not separatistic. It was meant to be created as a nation that would reflect the glory of God that would attract all nations. So really briefly, there's an amazing passage in... Isaiah chapter 19 and I'm just going to read this to you it's Isaiah chapter 19 verses 23 through 25 if I can get there Isaiah 19 23 through 25 now understand this the Bible is always looking ahead and as it looks ahead of what God's ultimately doing with history creating harmony amongst the whole world that he made unity in the whole world that he made listen to me in this really quickly. The intention is always that the people of God would embody here a taste of where God's ultimately taking the world. So this is a amazing passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 23 to 25, it speaks about where God's taking history. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Now, if you didn't know this, those are two massive enemies of Israel, the people of God. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt, the Egyptians to Assyria, the Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be third. Listen to that. In that day, Israel will be third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Folks, the point was never that it was Israel alone, ever. The point was always that Egypt will be my children, Assyria, my handiwork, Israel, my inheritance. What sin had done has taken up God's design and enabled the Jews to boast and go, we're not like them, and separate themselves. Paul's going, but God did something about this. His purpose always was to destroy the barrier. And in Christ, he tore down the dividing walls of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, these things that separated us. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, unity, harmony, that truly could sing, because of Christ, we are the world. Because of Christ. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which... He put to death their hostility. The bottom line of what creates division is hostility, enmity. He put to death enmity, not the enemy. He put to death the hostility, not them. He doesn't turn human beings into devils. He may say, You're of your father, the devil. Jesus says that. You're following the prince and power of the air. But he doesn't, he puts to death the hostility in Christ that in Christ we would have unity we would be one new humanity you guys see that his purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in his body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross I have to say this short because we don't have endless amounts of time if you ever want to understand what's happening on the cross it is physical anguish clearly read it watch The Passion of the Christ but if you know how bad enmity hostility hatred feels when someone you don't know hates you it feels awful when somebody you know hates you it feels even worse when somebody who's designed by God to intimately love you has hostility to you It's like you don't even want to live. Folks, every one of us in this room have felt that to some level. The sin of the whole world, the enmity of the whole world, the hostility of the whole world was bound up in his body on the cross. Folks, when we feel it, we seek to return eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus knew that never will work. So he took it all in himself on the body, let alone all the anger of God that God had against that which destroyed his beloved humanity. That's what wrath is. Wrath isn't just this angry God like, I'm gonna punch you and punish you. It's a loving father going, look at what this has done to my world in rage going out because you always hate that which is destroying the one you love. A father always hates that which destroys the beloved. The whole wrath and anger of sin and all the horror of sin, all the anguish of sin is bound up in his body so that on the cross he would put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Now this is a massive point. For through him we both have access, here's the word, to the Father. I just said this. If you don't get the Bible, if you don't understand the Bible is 100% about the heart of the true Father. Now when I say that, look at me. I know in this room how many of you in here have never had dads or the dads you had you wished you didn't have but the reason you're angry at the dad you never had the reason you're in anguish about the dad you had that you wished you never had is because deep down you know what a real dad should be God is a loving father and loving fathers and loving parents it's true of loving mothers because God's very maternal as well want nothing but for their kids to get along. They hate division in the family. Another really old movie that was actually came out before I was alive, 1970, Godfather. In The Godfather, at the very beginning of it, Connie, Godfather's daughter's getting married, they're about to take a family picture like there are at every wedding and everybody's getting together. All right, take it, take it. The photographer's about to take it. The father's about to take it. Godfather sits there and looks around. He's like, where's Michael. Everybody's just like, just take it. Where's Michael? Michael's nowhere to seen. We're not taking the picture. He walks out, wife just runs off, and it's this amazing picture of the heart of a father. Like, we're not all together. It ain't happening. It's not done. Jesus came in human form to present to us a picture in human form to display for us the love of the Father. And before he goes to the cross, he's sweating blood praying, Father, as you and I are one, let them be one. Let them be one. The work I'm about to do is gonna divide, abolish, kill, and destroy hostility when they're in me. Let them be in me as I am in you and let them be one. Now listen to me. In this. This purpose is parental. Okay? So the reason God says when you're sitting in the church, don't you dare partake of his body in his blood, which was shed to bring unity. If you're sitting in this room with lack of forgiveness in somebody else, don't take it. Go reconcile with them. The Father cares about this stuff way too much. You're estranged from people in your family. You're going to participate in the body and blood which was broken and blood shed to put to death the enmity, the animosity, the hostility. Go as far as it depends upon you. You can't control everything. You can't make peace. He does. But as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. You see division in your city. God's called us as his people to be his people in presence at the places of the world's deepest needs. This is where now we have to practice peace. This whole passage, he is our peace. He's made peace among us in Christ. We need to live into it. We have to practice peace. This is one thing I love about yoga. Now, if you're a yoga hater, you can come up to me and say everything you want about where it comes from. I still love it. Okay, so don't even worry about it. One thing I love about yoga is every time you go into yoga, they don't go, compete! (laughs) They go, this is your practice. (laughs) And I'm like these people seem a lot more at peace than my Christians who are like, we gotta win, right? It's like, Jesus wins, Christians, relax, right? Like, go do a downward dog and relax. (laughs) But the thing I love about it is they say it's practice, and here's why I love that, is that life is not about conquering things. You do something well, and then you fail. You do it again, and you fail. But we're called as a community to practice peace. So I'm going to go back to those four dimensions of sin and give you a few ideas of how we as Redemption Church, you as Redemption Church Tucson, can practice peace. How do we go against the cosmic dimension of division? Because that's the work of the devil. Pray. Pray. I just said this. We are called to be God's people In prayer, as well as presence, in prayer at the places of the world's deepest needs. Pray. You don't need to pray for 24 hours about the chemical attacks in Syria, but pray about them. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Pray about the division in your family. Pray about the division in your city. Pray about the division between ASU and U of A and that ASU wins, right? But... We're a peace-loving community, okay, relax. (laughs) But seriously, pray. I, I mean this in all seriousness. Pray is how we work against the cosmic. The other part of the cosmic is that the devil is a deceiver. We need to be a community of truth. He lies, we tell the truth, okay? That's cosmic, individual. There are so many aspects of this. But here is one, is that you need to be deeply reflective under the love of God of the places in your life that aren't integrated at every level. But in context of this passage, the places in your life that are causing division between you and other individuals, especially to start with Christians, you have to deal with. You have to forgive. So pray that God's kindness would lead you to repentance. That you would see how much Christ has forgiven you, that your perspective would be shaped by the beginning of this passage in such a way that your heart would melt and you'd go, regardless of how they respond, I must seek peace and forgiveness. Individual. Here's another thing when it comes to division you can do a lot of work learning about other cultures through the internet. I'll give you one just example. If you're in here and you're white, there's a TED talk called Waking Up White just watch it 19 minutes just and shut up okay everything in you that's like yeah but yeah but yeah just go I want to learn Lord make me a learner and just start learning read about certain things the next thing is is individually make a decision to go to restaurants you'd never go to before because they feel uncomfortable start hanging out in places in your city that you're like I've never even thought about going there before right and then go in and as an individual just ask questions. Not to judge them, not to condemn them, but for you to learn. Ask questions. Okay? Those are a few things that we can do. And then be willing to go at it. Here's the next one. Societal. I could go on and on about these, but societal is communal as well. Pray and ask people about the societal sin, injustices in your community and then go back through it. Pray about it. Learn about it, and then ultimately you are going to begin to act about it. But that's societal, and then here is the last one: ecclesial. Uh, again, we have to work across these aisles in here. Not that, and it may be Democrat and Republican, it may be cultural, it may be economic, it may be attempts to sing bilingual music on an ongoing basis. Whatever that is, pursue the bond of peace. Pursue to be learners. Pursue it, pursue it. Practice peace, amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we uh, love you and thank you. You are our peace. We recognize it. We ask um, that you would do great and mighty things in our midst, that we would begin to actually experience that which you said has happened in the body of Christ in his very flesh, in the shedding of his blood and in the power of his resurrection that you would make us a community of people that reflect this Ephesians two eleven through 18 reality more in a week from now than we were today. God, let us rest in the fact that we're practicing, we're making attempts, that we are not fully there and God, forever make us humble to never, ever, ever, ever say we've arrived. That until the day that you come, when you finalize it, then we can say, it's fully and finally finished. But until then, Lord, let us practice in your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.